How much time do you want for your progress? progress. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Clatter Chatter on Things That Matter, the podcast that is intellectually engaging, theologically reflecting, encouraging sociologically, imagining ways in which we can live. Thank you for spending this short amount of time with us. We promise you that you will not regret a moment of it. Shout out to Trevor Smith and V.J. Herbert for commissioning this fantastic music to get our minds going on things eternal, positive, and fulfilling life's purposes. Today is September the 18th, 2021, the day that I lost my spot as the baby of the family to my sister, Angela Cooper Fobbs. Happy birthday, Angela. I know you tune in. So anyway, the caboose is her day, 47 years old. We welcome you, Dr. Hayes. Greetings, Dr. Cooper. It's hard to believe that a lot has transpired in such a short time since last we had a conversation. Uh, today, yeah. September the 18th, it's that rally in the nation's capital in defense of the ra- the protest that took place on January 6th. This is some crazy times uh, in support of those who violated the United States or breached the Capitol. Interesting. And today... 14,000 Haitians, I want to have a conversation, 14,000 Haitians are under the bridge in Texas uh, fleeing from Haiti um, because of natural disasters. Uh, It's an interesting time and space in which we're living. I grew up in an area in the Missouri boot hill where Haitians were the migrant workers and they always came in as seasonal farm workers to Pitch the watermelons. That's what we called them. Their nicknames were pluckers. And um, they migrated from Florida and they did the southeastern migration from Florida all the way through. I think they picked peaches in Georgia. Then they came on over to Arkansas uh, to do the tomatoes, cotton, that whole thing. And then they came to the Missouri Boot Hill for the watermelon produce, and I think they ended up in Iowa for the corn, and then they traveled all the way back down to Florida. Migrant workers never were able to set up roots um, anywhere, just a lot of transients. And uh, under the Bill Clinton administration, I'm just going to give a little history, and then i ask you to chime in. Under Bill Clinton's administration, there was a major embargo against Haiti, uh, I believe at that time, and I'll have to check my facts because I don't want to say the wrong the wrong person. Um, but uh, when uh, Clinton was um, president, uh, I think it was F. W. D. Clerk was um, uh, no, that's not him. Uh, that F. W. D. Clerk was in South Africa. Um, Gosh, it's going to come to me, Dr. Hayes. But anyway, there were some issues going on um, with with Haiti 
And Bill Clinton, under his presidency, everybody, under, under Clinton's presidency, um, there were some embargoes that took place. And it was to the point where um, the Clinton administration gave uh, tax subsidies, farm subsidies to uh, Boot Hill farmers to grow rice as an affront to sort of displace uh, the Haitian farmers. Jean uh, Bertrand Aristide, that's who was the president in 93. I knew it was going to come to me. Jean Bertrand Aristide, Aristide's presidency. There was some great tension uh, during the Clinton administration. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a coup. And I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, um, and there was just a lot of tensions happening. And... Um, Haiti was created as the, it was always, it it couldn't be colonized. How how about that? You know, Haiti couldn't be colonized. And and so there's some great tension there. Um, The French Creole, when I was in middle school, when the Haitians would come to our area, I remember in eighth grade cooking breakfast at Alfred's Barbecue to serve the migrant workers and speaking French, uh, parlez-vous français to our um, Haitian migrant workers who were coming into town. But it's interesting that Haiti uh, has had such great um, insurrection, coup d'état, lack of support from uh, the United States um, because it could not be colonized. You got Cuba, Jamaica, all of them are surrounding Haiti. You got the Caicos and the Turks Islands. You got the Bahamas, the Dominican Republic. Um, but no one goes to Haiti on vacation. And, uh, and it has received a lot of unfortunate lack of support. Um, and so I, I, I really have a heart for Haiti. Uh, part and partial because there's a city in the Boot Hill of Missouri that was often mispronounced. Uh, and actually it was the, it was, it spelled H-A-Y-T-I, Haiti. And everybody used to call it Haiti. As a matter of fact, uh, the Republic of Haiti, uh, as it was spelled in Creole, was actually spelled H-A-Y-T-I. Just a little trivia. Um, but Haiti is, and Haiti Heights, was the uh, is the city of the Missouri Boot Hill? So there was a French Revolution in 1789 to I think 99, uh, 10 years, 1789 to 1799, uh, when Haiti gained its independence from the French. And so it's pretty deep. Um, but my, my concern is how it seems as if if you are from a war-torn country, we offer more grace than if you are fleeing from natural disasters or tyranny. And um, I'm, I'm really concerned, Dr. Hayes, and... Um, and and I think it's it's pretty profound to see these fourteen thousand or more 
that are coming in from the southwest to from Haiti rather than from Florida. Um, and that speaks volumes, right? And so this conversation I want to have is, is knowing that this country, if you are native to it, which means First Nation people, Native Americans, however you want to identify the people who were here before the, the pilgrims came for religious freedom and exploration and all of that stuff and the, the sanctioning of slavery by the church at Rome with a papal decree by Pope Alexander, I believe. And, or if you were enslaved and brought over through the Middle Passages uh, as slaves, the rest of the folks came as immigrants. And there's enough space for everybody. This is a big country, Dr. Hayes. The United States is big. From sea yes, to shine. There's a lot sea. more land that it's a lot more land that has not been occupied. Absolutely. The Plain States, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Empty. The Midwestern fly, Plains. Flying over to Colorado, there's lots of you know, land, colorful to look at, but uninhabited. Absolutely. So let's talk about what it means to be in the footsteps of a transient, itinerant, a wandering Aramean as our ancestor. What does it mean to be on this journey, moving towards a future that's coming toward us. What does it mean to not have roots that we are, we are, um, we're by nature temporary. We're here today, maybe gone tomorrow. So what is this about homesteading or, I don't know. Well, you know, when I was a, when I was uh, a kid, they used to sing this, this song, "This world is not my home. I'm just traveling through. If heaven's not for real, then Lord, what will I do?" Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, our our faith teaches us that even after all of this turmoil is over, after all of the suffering that many of us go through has ended. There's going to be another place, and and I, 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 I pause to say that that was perpetrated most likely by the colonizers as a way of teaching a religion of the hereafter, the pie in the sky by and by. But but the thought of a future is what keeps us working through the present. Whatever that future might be, we all have a vision of what we want. We all have dreams of what we'd like to achieve. And if we don't have that, then we, we're hard-pressed to find the sinew, the strength, to barrel through uh, the oppression and the uh, degradation that many of us have to suffer in this country. A lot of people nowadays are talking about going back to Africa, but going back to Africa may not be all that you think it is. You may you may run into people who really don't think much of you because they consider you an American. And then 
we always say we want to go to the homeland and those of us who have been, we like to visit. But that's not where we really have been oriented. And so since we are American, uh, I think we have to continue to demand that we be treated as such. And uh, again, the, uh, I think the Native Americans uh, have a better claim on all of that than we do, but we certainly have helped to build this country in terms of the infrastructure, in terms of the intellect, in terms of the art. America would be nothing without people of African descent. You know, I, I get all of that because everybody has the DNA of the ancestors in them, the African diaspora is real. But my biggest concern is the immigration and the migration. Uh, you know, we've always had migrations. There was the great migration of six million people uh, from the South, black folks, the great migration that took place from the early 1900s to the 1970s. How you wonder how, how people from the South ended up in Compton, California, or Los Angeles, or St. Louis, or East St. Louis, or, or Chicago, or Chicago Heights. They migrated to flee Jim Crow. Um, the Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson is an excellent book to read that chronicles the lives of three individuals who made this great migration. So we have always been mig migrants and this whole notion of um, and I, and I want to just say that I believe how God and I, I use God as the big G.O.D. in my monotheistic tradition uh, would would suggest and I think that most uh, religious practices probably have a similar story in how humankind was created to be good stewards of creation not to dominate or stake claim or or have this level of arrogance that if I put a flag in a place or attach my name to a city that makes it my very own and then I'm the gatekeepers of that space. That is, that is not, I don't believe, and I dare not speak on behalf of God. That's just my finite understanding uh, of how I think humans are supposed to take care of, uh, of, of this world that, that humans have been entrusted, uh, in some sort of way to steward it. And I'm, and, and that's just to, to, to get along with the trees, the birds, the, crocodiles and other people and and to stay claim to land it becomes kind of just to think about it is really crazy I mean I can't I don't own this apartment although I'm paying rent to it but if I decided that I could have eminent domain in this place and not pay any rent you know what's gonna happen to me I'm gonna get evicted so why is it that others who have this power structure in place think that they can be the gatekeepers to a land that they didn't even create. And, and to go back to this whole uh, constitution of the United States, the preamble, we, the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Well, that's a lie because domestically we've been fighting, uh, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain 
and establish this Constitution of the United States. But I happen to believe that the laws of kindness and compassion and just being okay with wherever folks want to be, they can be because this is, we're supposed to care. And I think it's a grievous mistake for us to turn our lives. I, I for one, am looking at moving to an area uh, that's less expensive because I'm 52 and Social Security won't be around for me. I was told that when I was in the sixth grade. One of my classmates and her husband are moving to Ecuador, and they, are, they don't have as much melanin in their skin as I do. Uh, in other words, they're white people. They're, they're moving to Ecuador because she says they couldn't afford when they retire. They couldn't afford to live in the United States. So I'm, there's a movement of my generation, Generation X, that are looking pragmatically at the issues of affordability and, and what our retirement might look like based on the stretching of the United States dollar in the United States. It's going to be difficult for Generation X to make it. So I'm saying this. I can't imagine that Ecuador would not be receiving or that Ghana might not be receptive or that Panama might be close up their borders or, uh, or, or Haiti might shut the door. I, I might move to Haiti. Does that make sense? Because I can't afford to live here. Seriously. And it, and it gives great pause. So what I'm saying is, how dare we not be welcoming of the stranger? Because there go, we were once resident aliens in our own space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's foundational uh, in the scriptures that, that we are to treat the stranger with hospitality and the sojourner to offer rest. Um, I think the selfishness uh, that has perpetrated itself is due to the, to this thought that we should get as much as we can accumulate as much as we can. And so that we can rule and the idea of ruling, I don't know. I, I don't know where it comes from, other than the monarchical tradition. But even in in that regard, ruling meant to care for those who were less fortunate or those who were weaker. Uh, and ruling really means that you have to care for the rest. So it, it's been it, it's been. Uh, a troubling thing for me to see the country that I say that I'm a part of be so mean-spirited, so selfish. Uh, and I don't know what the remedy for that is other than to just suffer a total decline, a total takedown. And you know that has happened before, that things have fallen and people have to pick up the pieces, and they learn to depend on each other just to survive. It's sad that, that it takes that for us to get the picture. But perhaps that's where we're headed. What's that old phrase? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Pride comes before the fall. Jesus said it this yeah. way, that he saw Satan fall like lightning from yeah. heaven. 
uh, all the empires have fallen. Uh, the Egyptian Empire, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, the British mm-hmm. Empire, the Dutch Empire. This imperial mindset is—it's um, interesting, and uh, and who's going to be there to help pick up the pieces? And I—I um, I, I I tell you what, let me say, let me add this: Who's going to pick up the pieces? Are the people who learn to survive? Hey, and that would be the people who. <laughs> Who really don't have all of that. Go ahead, Dr. Hayes. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, you know how to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Well, you there can make you chitlins become a delicacy. When you can use bacon grease, bacon fat, and make collard greens taste good, and now that's selling bacon fat. When you could take pig feet and pig ears and make them a meal out of the scraps from the master's table and still survive. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. When you when you when you can uh as it, as Paul wrote and I don't quote him often how you can learn to abound and learn to uh uh base mm-hmm. yeah uh, how you can pivot in in so many ways in so many contexts I believe that to yeah. the glory of God. The, that's the contemporary uh terminology for learning how to adapt to your surroundings and your conditions mm-hmm. to pivot. And those people who cannot pivot, in other words, cannot change their position and still advance, will be lost. Mm-hmm. They will be the casualties of this decline. So so those are the, the stiff-necked people, the, the ones who might be with the gnashing of the teeth, for the spoiled and the privileged. Um, yes. Yes. Lord, have mercy upon us. All right, Dr. Hayes, what else you got to say for this September 18th as we as we look and see that age-old questions? Look to the hills. Well, I, I don't I don't have I don't know that I have anything more to say other than I continue to to seek the guidance of the Almighty uh, and realize that if I continue in the faith that I have embraced for so long, that I will be among those who can survive. And beyond surviving, I could even thrive and be of help in a world that needs stability. And I think for those of us in any kind of leadership, we must be the purveyors of stability. We must help people to adapt and adjust to a new reality. And that when that reality becomes apparent, we cannot pretend that it does is not so, but that we can embrace it as an opportunity for uh, self-growth as an opportunity to expand the borders of our own tent. In other words, to reach out beyond where we are to help someone else in that great migration. You know, we're, 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 I see migration as a way of moving forward, as a way of blazing forward to a place that we have not experienced, but with the hope and the faith that there is a better place 
And so I think that's why people move. They move from the south to the north because they thought it would be a better situation. They move from the country to the city because they thought it would be a better situation. They move from, you know, the east to the Midwest because they thought it would be a cheaper um, cost of living. All of those things that make us move are really what help us to grow. So movement is part of our birthright. And so we should embrace it and just keep it moving. Dr. Cooper. All right. Excellent, excellent words of wisdom. As you were talking, I couldn't help but think of Gloria Gaynor's song. Let's see if I can play it a little bit before we, as we end this conversation day. I'll survive. But then I spent so we'll many all survive this. There you go. Thank you, Dr. Hayes. Thank you, Dr. It has been a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor to have you join in with us today. Remember that everything will be all right. Until we meet again, stay safe and well.